So you've mastered binary, I see. I'm just ones and zeros. Okay, let's hear you count. One, zero, one, zero. <laughs> How do you want me to count? That was pretty good. One, 10, 11, 100, 101, all done. <laughs> so she got clear up to five. That was great. I did. I hope everyone's doing well. I'm getting a lot of amazing scores on the little math drill we gave you. Congratulations. Binary is something, it's like another language. It is. It's a different way of representing quantities, and you really need to master it if you want to really understand computers. If you want to talk to your iPhone or your cell phone, you got to speak binary. That's right. Virtually, that's not true. But if you really want to understand how your phone works, you need to learn binary. And so I hope those of you that haven't mastered that yet get it. And she did count quite accurately to five. One. And if all you have is one and zero as digits, the next number is 10. And then the next number after that is 11. And then there's 100. And then there's 101. And then she burn out. 110, 111, 1,000, 1,000. Look, she can go and go. I can. You know, even in decimal, counting is, is possible. Do you know how to count decimal? Okay, you do know. Mm -hmm. So we would like to now hear you count to one million in decimal. <laughs> it's not about me counting today. <laughs> I would rather count in binary because it doesn't take that long in binary yeah. count to a million, does it? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, thank you. So don't give up on the binary. Okay. Okay, good. You ready for comments already? Oh, sure. Let's get a comment. 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 Um, the kids want to hear a story. That's what it says. <laughs> Do you have any stories that you can tell? A science story. Mm -hmm. <sighs> I like your stories. Well, you know, um, I like to share true life experiences, right? But are those stories? Mm -hmm. Could be. I have a friend. Uh, this friend uh, actually has passed away now but a friend that I very, very highly respect. And he told a story that uh, I thought was quite interesting. So I could share that. Okay. If you're ready for it. We're ready. Okay. It's a little gruesome. <laughs> We're ready. Okay. <laughs> so here's the deal. My friend who tells this story says that he was driving along the highway in the country He's driving about 55 miles an hour, and out of his rear window, uh, or his mirror, he saw an object come screeching up side of his car and start to pass him. And as it went by, he looked out, and it looked like a chicken. <laughs> a chicken outrunning a car driving 55. So he sped up a little bit, and just as he was catching up with it, it's like the chicken got a second wind and took off again. But he could see this was a strange chicken because it didn't have two legs, it had three. <laughs> Not binary legs, triple. And he started, so he caught up one more time because he really wanted to get a good look at it, but that chicken wasn't about to be caught. He took off even faster. 
And my friend saw him go in and turn in a driveway. So I followed him. Maybe I'll see where that chicken goes. And he went running into a farm. And as my friend drove into the farm, there was a farmer out there with his pitchfork. And he says, hey, did you see a chicken go by here? And he says, yes, I did. And he said, I know this sounds crazy, but did it look like that chicken had three legs? He said, he sure did. <laughs> I've never heard of a three-legged chicken. And the farmer says, I raise them. You raise three-legged chickens? Mm-hmm. Well, how's that work? Well, you see, I love drumsticks. <laughs> Ma loves drumsticks. And now little Billy came along. He loves drumsticks. So now we're all fighting over who gets the drumsticks. So I decided I will raise three-legged chickens. Everybody will be happy. <laughs> My friend asked the farmer, well, how do they taste? The farmer said, I don't know. I've never been able to catch one. <laughs> now tie that into science. Yeah, I dare you. Yeah, I was trying to go there. Like genetically modified them. Is that our science? Yes, that's science. Okay. I'm sure you'll tie that in somehow, some social-emotional lesson. So even if you have three legs and people laugh and make fun of you, you can outrun them all. You can outrun them all. <laughs> all right, so we got to get back on point here. Okay? We really do it real fast. Right, yeah. You know, uh, last time we had a very, very, very important discussion. And I went through a lot of material, lightning style. I call that introducing concepts. And now what I'd like to do is go back and see if we can master those concepts. Because this is important. Remember, we talked about Thomas Edison and about he invented the light bulb. And then he noticed there was a film on the side. And so he studied it and he became aware of the Edison effect. And the Edison effect, which he started to study, was the beginning of radio, modern electronics, computers, a lot of different things. And I think it's really interesting to learn about these things. And I want to go back in. This is just the first step into this adventure. But if you get these foundations, then when we start explaining things on top of them more and more, it makes sense. And you can see where to go with it. Um, remember that the way that some of the philosophies and strategies that Thomas Edison developed and was very successful with and changed the world with were passed on to us through the student he mentored, Mr. Bill Lear. Bill Lear did a lot of amazing things. He made the Learjet and he mentored me personally which I'm sure was his crowning moment. <laughs> no, he never did tell me that. But um, Mr. Lear uh, was mentored by Thomas Edison, and he attributes that to one of the reasons why he was able to achieve success. And if we're going to tell a story, the story I'd really like to tell would be a true story about Bill Lear. Bill Lear was... Uh, a student, a young student going to school, and he was learning about electronics. And his teacher was explaining to him about radio. Well, radio is one of the things we've been talking about. A radio creates a signal. 
in our walls, we have electrical outlets. And if you plug into them, you get electricity. It's electrons that want to move and do work for you. But the way the current in our walls works, the electricity goes one direction, and then it goes the other direction, and it keeps changing. In fact, in the US, it changes direction 50 times a second. In some parts of Europe and half of Japan and other countries, it does it 50 times a second. But it changes direction, so we call it alternating current. Can't make up its mind. No, I didn't. I'm not going to say that. Yeah, you thought it. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Get out of my mind. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. So alternating current is a great way to distribute electricity because the fact that it's alternating means that it can go through a transformer. A transformer is two coils, usually with an iron core, where they put power into one coil and it jumps over and comes out the other coil. But the thing that makes alternating current really interesting is if one coil has, let's say, 100 windings and the other one has 200 windings, then when it comes out, it will have twice as high a voltage. So you can take a low voltage and jump it way up, and high voltage can go long distances without losing so much power. Then you can run it through a transformer where the big coil is the input and the small coil is the output, comes in at a high voltage, and then it jumps down to a voltage you can use. When we send power long distances in the US, we send it not at 100 volts, not at 220, we send it at a million volts. It's a lot of voltage. That's what we call a high-tension power line. And you can't jump the voltage up and down with a transformer if it's direct current, just going one direction. Because the way that electricity jumps from one coil to the other is through magnetic fields. And you have to set up a magnetic field and then tear it down and set it up, tear it down to make that power jump to the next side. And so that's why we use those. Well, then comes the next major innovation. They found out that if you make it change direction faster, <laughs> it starts to behave strangely. If you get it going fast enough and put it on a wire, it doesn't follow the wire. It escapes. It just go shooting out in the air, and we call those radio waves. Alternating current that isn't at 60 hertz or 60 cycles a second that becomes like kilohertz, thousands of hertz per second, gets up into the radio frequency, and then it starts shooting out into the air. And if it's really high frequency, it can go clear around the world, and we call that short wave because the frequency is so high that the wavelength's very small. So all that's happening, we figure out how we can send messages out of the air. Originally, when we first started finding out we could send radio waves, all we did is we sent a wave and we used it to close a relay contact so we could send Morse code. But then we found out we could put sound on the radio signal, and we could transmit sound. 
someone speaking, maybe even music. And of course, now we do that all the time. Well, let's back up from that for a minute to the story about Bill Lear. So when he came along, he was very, very interested in radio. Radio was a very new thing. People were doing these little crystal radios where they would put an antenna outside. The antenna would be 100 feet long. And the radio waves that would come and see that wire hanging out in your tree somewhere outside your house, it would cause the electrons in that wire to move. And they'd go back and forth at the frequency the wave was. So you got these vibrations of electrons. Go that way, go that way, go that way. And then you bring the wire into your house, and if you can somehow rectify that signal, then you can tune in a station. And remember we said rectify, and that's the word we really want to own today. If we rectify that signal, then we can actually hear it. We can capture that energy, we can amplify it, we can play it as a radio. Okay, but get back to the story now, Bill Lear. So when he was a young man, and he was about the age I was when Bill Lear invited me to come and live in his home and be mentored, he was very interested in radio, and he had tinkered with them, and he had come to understand them, and no one really seemed to understand them very well right then. It was also known he was making radio receivers way of catching the radio waves and making it so you could play. But before he actually started making these receivers, he was in school and he was learning about how radios work. And his teacher taught the students that you can run a wire outside, but now the modern way to do it, that was a long time ago, the modern way to do it is to wind that wire into a coil, and then you can put it right inside the cabinet of the radio. And so it's kind of like a folded antenna, an antenna coil. And the teacher explained why the coil has to be great big. The old radios, the big tube radios, were huge. And the reason they were huge is they had this great big coil inside them and it had to be that big to work. And the teacher explained why it had to be so, so big. And the way Bill Lear tells the story, <laughs> he raised his hand. He said, that's not true. He told what? the teacher that? Yeah, told the teacher, that's not true. He said, what do you mean that's not true? He said, it doesn't have to be that, but you can make it little. And they got in an argument right there in class. And Bill Lair wasn't the kind to back off easy, and <laughs> neither was the teacher. And eventually, this thing got heated enough that the teacher said, you're expelled. He got expelled from school for saying, that's not true, and sticking to his boots. <laughs> so he left. And he was kind of, he was kind of angry. So he went home. And guess what he did? Play games on his cell phone. No, he didn't. They didn't have those out yet. So he went home and he made a radio coil. 
not one the size you have to make for it to work. He made a little one. And it worked. He was right. He understood the theory better than the teacher. He went back to the school. And guess what this is? This is a roll of wire. This is an early, early, early vintage radio coil. The kind that Bill Lear said you could make. And then he made one. He went back to his teacher and said, then explain this. And he had it all hooked up to his little radio and he turned it on and it worked. Wow. Now what do you think the teacher said? He could say, well, it can't work. But the teacher said, let me look at that. Yeah, and they became good friends. And guess what? If you could make a radio coil that small, you didn't need these great big boxes. You could make a little one. In fact, you could make a radio so small, you could, you could put it in the dash of a car. You could make a car radio. Just think, they used to be too big to fit in the dash. You wouldn't be able to see out the window. But now they'd fit in the dash. So they started a company to build little radios for cars. And they called their new company Motor Radio, later to be shortened to Motorola. Because Mr. Lear could see something that others couldn't see. Well, years later, not too many years later, Lear was running his own little one-man business. And his business was if you want to build radios, my company of one will design them for you. We can design the best radio receiver that you'll get anywhere. And people would pay him, and he'd design them one. Then the next day, he'd say, I can design one better than that. Who wants it? And he kept making a better one, a better one, a better one, as he got more and more experience and more, more ideas. But though he was working very hard, he wasn't making enough money to pay the bills. And that's when he met Thomas Edison. And he told Edison about what he's doing. And I don't have a lot of details on those experiences, except I do know that Thomas Edison says, this is how you do it so that you make it a successful business. And he started teaching him the principles of inventioneering. They didn't call it that yen, I helped invent the name Inventioneering with the great scientist that founded this International That's Academy right. of Science. But he started teaching him how to be an inventioneer and how to succeed. And so Bill Lear did that. And he went on to build many companies. And he was a great pioneer in, uh, in avionics for airplanes and and uh, of course, he built the Learjet, for which he is really, really famous. He wanted to have music to play in his Learjet, and he didn't want the pilot to have to be turning over a cassette tape or something. So he invented eight-track stereo. That's a cartridge you stick in, and it'll play for months and days. You never have to mess with it. And he made millions of dollars off of his invention of eight-track stereo. Uh, a really, really interesting guy. Well, Bill Lear 
is an inspiration to me, as is Thomas Edison. And Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, but he went on to observe this unusual effect, this unexplainable at first effect called the Edison effect, and eventually he was able to discover that electricity only went through a tube in one direction. And I want to see if we can remember how this works. If you have a filament and you run electricity through that filament and it gets hot and glows enough to give off light, once it's that hot, the filament also gives off free electrons. And since the filament is inside a vacuum, those electrons are free to fly or to travel through that vacuum. And so then the idea came that if you put another electrode in that same package, electrons would flow to that other electrode. But if you tried to push them through backwards, they wouldn't flow because the second electrode wasn't hot. And it's only hot metal that gives off electrons. So if they come in from this side, they can go through. But if they come in the other way, it won't, it won't have any output. And so remember, that's like we talked about before, a one-way door. It's an electronic component. The little electrons go through one way, but it blocks them if they try to go through another way. Now remember, we did our little demonstration with the balloons. I hope you remember that. And we tried to blow up the balloon, and we found out that if we just take the balloon at the end, I'm not going to make you do it yeah. this time. Don't look at me like that. I did it last time. If you try to just blow up the balloon, it goes in and it goes out. You don't ever get anywhere. It's like the alternating current going back and forth. It just, you undo giving power as fast as you capture it so you don't get anywhere. But if you use some of these one-way valves, then... When I pull back the plunger, this valve lets air come in through the valve because it's sucked into the syringe. And then when you push the power out, it pushes against this one-way valve and it closes and it won't let the air out. But this one-way valve opens and it lets the air flow into the balloon. Mm -hmm. Should we see if we can get this to work again? We did last time. Can you hold that right there for me? Okay, so as I draw it in, it's letting the air go in, and I filled it up. Now, when I push it out, this valve will close, but that one-way valve is turned so that it'll go into the balloon. And so I have a pump. I am capturing the air because of the one-way valves. Now, just in case anybody didn't quite get that, I'm going to do a demonstration to show you how these work. If you look at this one-way one valve carefully, you notice that it's kind of pointed. If I can get it so you can really see it. How about right there? Can you see that? And that's the direction that'll flow. It'll only flow that way. So if I blow on this side, it won't go. If I blow that way, it will. So let's start by blowing in that way. Would you mind blowing? <laughs> no, I wouldn't mind. Okay, it's, it's not a breath analyzer or anything. It's just a, okay, here we go. So now she's gonna try and blow in a way that pushes that little one-way you really door. Want me to do that? Yeah, would you mind just see if How will they know if it's working? You'll tell us. <laughs> won't you? Okay, here we go. Does it blow? 
Okay, no. now, now turn it around the other way and see if it blows. harder. <laughs> you have to open the little valve. Oh, it doesn't blow. Do you want to try? No, I don't think you do. <laughs> See, we're blowing it this way. That's what I did. If you look, you got to blow How it like that. How will I know that. if it's working? It'll come out. <laughs> so come on, you can do it. It's not working. Yeah, it's working slowly. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. So at these it moments, is. <laughs> <laughs> is it working? Uh -huh. It does take Slowly. a little pressure it to get it started. Pressure. And mm -hmm. by the way, with a one-way electric valve, it takes a little bit of voltage to get it going. With a normal diode, it takes about six-tenths of a volt to get it to go. There are some special diodes that can do it with about two-tenths of a volt. That'd be nice. Okay. So what is a diode? A diode is an electronic component. That valve has a little valve, I mean, that valve has a little flapper that when you blow from behind, it pushes it open and lets air through. Mm -hmm. When you blow it the other way, it pushes it closed and won't let it go. So only it go one way, and that made my little air pump work, okay? Yeah. But in electronics, we do this with a component called a rectifier, okay? okay? And I have a picture of a rectifier. I want to show you the picture. There it is. Can you see it? That little teeny, teeny component. That component is just a little bit bigger than a grain of rice. It's very, very small, has wires in it, and electricity going one way will go through, electricity trying to go the other way won't. And, and just to make sure we get that concept, I would like to do a demonstration. Okay. Would you like that? Mm -hmm. I would. Okay, so I have this wonderful little circuit, mm -hmm. which I built. And right here in the middle, I have a rectifier. Over here, I have a battery, two batteries. And the battery comes out, so the negative side goes all the way along here. This is all negative side of the battery. The positive side of the battery comes out here, like this. And I happen to have a little light, a light-emitting diode right here. So if I turn the power switch on, that light should turn on. I turned it on and it didn't turn on because the diode is turned backwards so that the electricity can't go through that way. So I'm going to turn the light off and I'm going to say, okay, what if I take this wire off and take this wire off and put them on backwards? Now I'm going to bring electricity in from this side and I'm going to bring it out this side. Can you see how I've reversed it by changing those wires? Now it goes this way. Before it was going like that. Okay. Turn the power on. Watch the LED. Can you see it? It's lighting. So that is a diode. It's just like this. It will let the electricity flow one way or not the other. Now this diode happens to be a modern one. This one wasn't around back when Thomas Edison was inventing his light bulbs. But with a diode, you can take the power that's collected by a radio coil or by a long antenna outside, and you can actually capture that energy, which has the music or the talking encoded into it, or engineers say modulated into it, mm -hmm. and you can then amplify it and hear it. 
So this is a diode too. Oh, oh, did you hear that? This is a diode too. The light I'm using is an LED. We all know what LEDs are. It's a light emitting diode. Yeah. That's interesting because electricity will only go through an LED in one direction. If you hook an LED up backwards, it will not light because it is a diode. It's a diode that happens. So these are both the same thing. The LED and the plain diode are diodes. So I got two-way doors, and that's why I make them both point in the same direction so I can do this little demonstration. It's pretty neat. Yeah. I could just use a regular light bulb, and it'll go either way. <laughs> but I used an LED because they're neat. So that's right. And a lot of people have heard about light emitting diodes, but you didn't know they were diodes because they will only let electricity go one direction. Well, by putting the second electrode inside the vacuum tube or the light bulb, they were able to make a diode. And the diode would let electricity go through one way. If the, the electrons came to the side that had the lit up filament, it would give off electrons, they would flow through the circuit. If they came the other way, they'd get to the electrode that isn't lit up, and if it's not hot, it won't, it won't let electrons escape, mm -hmm. and so it would block it, and they could put a radio wave on that and capture it. Now, I have to show you this. Okay. This is a vacuum tube. It's pretty. Yeah, and if you look at this thing, it's kind of a monster vacuum tube. It has two wires on top, and if I can tear it apart, I'm gonna pull this tube out. Ooh, look at that. So it has fingers on the bottom that plug in and make contact. It has two fingers on top, and inside it has a filament that gets hot to give off electrons, and so this is kind of a monster thing. Let's see if we can find the big pin, because it has to go right there, so we'll come up to the right place. Let's see if we can hook this thing back up. Would you like to sing while I do this? No. Thank you, thank you. All right, I'm done. So this is, this is a vacuum tube, only this happens to be a vacuum tube amplifier. So it's using this technology. Now, some people know that before we had transistors, we had vacuum tubes. And they would amplify a signal. They, they could rectify a radio signal. That was a diode, a vacuum tube diode. And then they figured out how to put a little screen in between we talked about last time briefly, that would make it so that a small signal from a radio wave could turn it on and off and it would control a large amount of power. And so we call that amplification. You have a radio wave that's so weak you could barely run a headphone, you run it into the gate or into the screen in the middle and it would either repel or pass electrons and so it could amplify it to a large amount of power, and then you can run a speaker and you can have a party, okay? <laughs> okay. So I wanted to demonstrate this. You know, uh, some guys that are really into music like tube amplifiers. Tube yeah. amplifiers have a little different sound than transistor amplifiers. We're gonna get into transistors a little bit later, but transistors work so fast that the sound is really clear and sharp. 
tubes are a little bit lower frequency response, and so they make the music sound a little bit more mellow. And some people like that. That's why they're still making some audio amplifiers, some sound amplifiers with vacuum tubes, like this one, okay? So I wanted to actually demonstrate how this works. I've got a speaker here so we can hear it. I'm gonna go ahead and tune on. See if you can see it light up when I turn on the filaments. Okay, should be starting to warm up. Uh, I can see it, can you see it? Mm -hmm. The bottom. There's a little bit of light in the bottom. Can we see it? I'm gonna turn on its side. So we can, see, can you see the little orange light in there? So it's warming up and it usually takes about a half a minute for vacuum tubes to warm up. I remember back in my youth when we'd turn on the radio, turn it on, it'd light up, you see the dial, and no sound. And you sit there and about 30 seconds later, all of a sudden, the, the sound would come on really soft, get louder and louder and louder. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty neat. Well, look, it's all warmed up here now. And I really wanted to demonstrate how these amplifiers can work to play sound. And so what I did is I, uh, I wanted to make a music tape and, and play the music for you so you could hear it. And I was going to, I fully intended to, and you probably can guess what happened. We had no tape. We don't? I don't know if you can make a tape. No, no, what no, no, no. The thing that happened is I ran into a political problem. Oh, it was what you were going to put on there. No, oh. it was that I was going to put it on there. <laughs> did you did see, your staff help you? I have a laboratory <laughs> called Area 51. Oh. <laughs> And I like to do research there, and I needed an assistant. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, <clears throat> the way the story goes is I cloned myself, yes, and it didn't turn story. out so positive. So I did another one, another one, another one, kept trying, trying, trying. Uh -huh. Each one got better. And finally, when we got to the 51st clone, uh -huh. It worked, but you know, there's really something wrong with that guy. <laughs> that's why we call it Area 51, because that's where he has to stay. He is wired, so if he comes out of Area 51, his battery goes dead. Yeah. Mm, yeah. But anyway, I told him, okay, I'm making, what are you doing? I'm, I'm making some music so I can demonstrate to the students how this tube amplifier works. Mm -hmm. And he said, I, I don't get what this has to do with it. He says, is, is Dr. Peje Monet going to listen? No, you know what. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I think she will, unless she brought her earplugs. And he said, you know what? I would like to make that audio tape. No. <laughs> That's no. what he said. <laughs> and so already, no. it, it became a political problem. <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah, I, I, know, I no. could probably do a better job than he could. So did but anyway, you do it or did he do so it? he went ahead and did it, no. and uh, <laughs> and I just like to take this moment to thank R fifty one. He's a flirt. He's not right. <laughs> He's not right. He's not right in the computer memory. You know what I mean? But anyway, I'd like to thank him for preparing this little demonstration music tape. So I'd like to play for you now a little bit of music through the tube amplifier. Okay, Captain let's go sir. ahead. 
Okay. Uh, hi. I made I made this special music tape for Miss Peugeot. Here it goes. I could have my Gucci. <laughs> wow. The Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> Well, it does make my point. I get him. <laughs> it, it does make my point. So this oh, will take my. a very, very weak signal and amplify it enough so I can share it with you and these I really wonderful like students. Your vacuum tube. Yeah, isn't that amazing? This, that little table this is a really big, fat, crazy vacuum tube, which I really like. That's really neat. And vacuum tubes are a lot of fun. But with a vacuum tube and with a way to use a really micro signal of electricity to turn a big signal on and off, it was possible to make the first computer with vacuum tubes. And that computer could do things that no one had ever done before. And we're going to talk a little bit more about it. It's the ENIAC. In case you want to do homework and get ahead, you can look at it. But the ENIAC computer was an amazing step, and yet it had some real problems. And we'll get into those next time. Okay? So let's stop back up. So we have a thing called a rectifier or a diode. It's a one-way valve that let electronic, electrons flow one direction only. And they're a very important part of electronics is how you are able to capture a radio signal so that you can amplify it and hear it. It was possible using the Edison effect to do it with a vacuum tube, which could be called a special kind of light bulb. And then that would be called a vacuum tube diode because it would let it only go through one way and it had two electrodes. Diode meaning two, diode. That's where the name comes from. Later they put a little screen in between the two so they could control whether or not it would flow at all. And that was the first amplifier. They called that a triode because it had three electrodes. Am I making sense? Mm -hmm. All right. Now, does this seem more clear today? We yeah, starting all to get of a sudden, it? I'm reminded of the three-legged chicken. That's not what you meant by the triode. I knew you would tie that into science somehow. So the triode was invented for three-legged chickens. Thank you. You started it. <laughs> Thank you very, very, very much. I really appreciate that. Okay, well, we're going to go forward with this. And we're going to look and see how we, we go from these vacuum tubes to make a computer. Then we're going to see how we jump from vacuum tubes to transistors to make a computer. Then we jump to integrated circuits. Then we jump to a microprocessor. Then we jump to our cell phones. And here we are. And where we jump next is up to you. That's your mission, right? course, it sure helps to jump if you can understand where you're jumping from. Yeah, it does. And that's why we have Science Live. That's right. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Okay.